populist language never wants to be analyzed. I think that's hmm. an interesting thing I came across too. Welcome to the YU Ideas podcast, where values-based education meets today's challenges and opportunities with your host, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Halpern. Today's guest is Associate Professor of English at Stern College for Women, Dr. Seamus O'Malley. The United States Constitution begins with the famous phrase, we the people. You have been thinking long and hard about what it means to refer to the people. Who are the people? Who's included? Who's not included in the phrase the people? But from a different tradition, not from the United States. Please speak to us about your uh, recent book. Uh, yes, thank you. So I kind of accidentally stumbled into this topic coming across uh, a memoir, um, a kind of War of Independence memoir from the 1920s. And the writer, he's an Irish writer, and he keeps talking about the people and how they're doing it for the people. And the people were so helpful to him. He was on the run. He was kind of on the lam. Um, he's like, I could never have done it without the people. I did it for the people. And after a while, I was like, wait, who are the people? He keeps mentioning the people, but he he's like the son of a doctor from Dublin. Like, he's not the people. You know, he's, <laughs> he's not pretending to be the people, but he fights for them, um, and he d- fights in their name. Uh, and so I just kept thinking, like, who does he mean? And he always assumes we know who he means. Um, so it got me looking at other Irish texts, and they all seem to have this this almost fascination, dependence on the people. But again, it's never specific who the people are. And so it got me thinking about populism, which is something um, that I only arrived at after working through the kind of the language of the people. Um, and I started looking into kind of political theory about populism. And there's, just like in the media today, there's zero consensus as to what populism is. And so every time you write about it, you have to first give this long definition because you can never assume your reader shares or knows the definition. Um, but the best definitions I came across posit populism not as a set of politics, but as a way of talking, a way of speaking about politics, like a political vocabulary. And so once I realized that that was the key to populism, I said, well, hey, this is my wheelhouse, right? This is literary analysis. This is, um, I can write about this without being a political scientist uh, because it's about a way of speaking. And so to me, it made sense that I discovered it through kind of a close reading of a memoir, right? This issue of, of the people. So the further I looked into who writers meant when they meant the people, the further um, I got into this real vague sense that no one really knows who they're talking about, but everyone acts like they know exactly who they're talking about. And that's so consistent even in today's political landscape, right? Mm. If you describe somebody um, as the enemy of the people or a man of the people, or um, uh, it's just a, it's supposed to be obvious what you mean hmm. by that. And even in classical music, um, the Metropolitan... Uh, or the New, York, the New York Symphony just hired a new conductor, um, and they're like, oh yeah, he's like a conductor for the people, <laughs> just like Leonard Bernstein was. And like that's supposed to be clear what that means. <laughs> Everybody knows. Yeah, clearly, right. yeah. He's obviously for the people. Uh, so who are the people is a kind of an always delayed huh. answer. Like You can never quite answer that question. But what you can often do is define people by who are not hmm. the people. So the enemies of the people are always so crucial. Um, for defining the people. And so different cultures will have different ideas about who are not the people. For example? 
Um, well, in the 19th century, in Europe especially, nationalism emerges as this kind of um, galvanating force. Um, and so throughout Europe, Jews become marked as not of the people. Hmm. And so in the Middle Ages, for example, um, there's all sorts of uh, kind of religiously based anti-Semitism, but it gets rebirthed in this modern form in the 19th century where you have to define what is not the nation. And sometimes it's geographic. So for example, in Spain, um, you know, there's still fights over Catalan, right? There's still fights over the Basque. Um, in England, right, Scotland, is currently going through like a nationalist, um, you know, uh, kind of phase or movement in Ireland, of course. Um, but in Europe, every nation had kind of Jews living within uh, the borders, and that became uh, a point of contention, uh, whether or not Jews were the people. Uh, but sometimes it's more like in the French Revolution, the aristocracy, mm. those who own land as opposed to those who work on the lands. Often it's the wealthy who are not the people. Sometimes it's foreigners, either mm -hmm. perceived foreigners or actual kind of immigrants or emigrants or, or refugees. Um, so having that uh, kind of other, right, that, hmm. that enemy to define who is not the people is, it's almost safer to say who's not the people. Because hmm. once you start actually depicting who the people are, people start pointing out the problems, right? right. They say, wait, that's not the, like that guy doesn't belong there. Um, or they feel not included, which is a problem. Whereas if you just kind of point to those other people and say, yeah, they're, they're against us, um, it works. It, it works wow. much better, which is why politicians right. resort to it across the political spectrum. Sure. Yeah. So I get the sense that if you were a journalist, you, you can sort of have a, be a one-trick pony, and every time a politician referred to the people, you would just raise your hand and yeah, say, Yeah, who do you mean? Who, yeah. who do you mean? <laughs> right, right. And they'd, they'd stumble and not be able to argue. Yeah, I would never get called on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, because populist language never wants to be analyzed. I think that's hmm. an interesting thing I came across, too. And I looked at, like, Irish newspapers, um, and again, it's so similar to what we see today, again, across the spectrum, um, when the people are evoked. They never really want you to poke around hmm. in their language. It's always kind of front-facing, right? It's not. Um, so looking at different kinds of, of kind of depictions and representations of the people, whether it's newspapers or political speeches or poems or novels, um, it's usually the populists who want to not talk about it, but huh. use it, whereas other writers sometimes want to be more critical and interrogate it. Yeah. Um, and there was this one writer from the 50s in Ireland um, who's coming click. He's the last writer I look at. Um, his name was Flann O'Brien, and he was a real kind of prankster. He would often, he wrote novels under an assumed name, and then he would write reviews of those novels <laughs> under awesome. a further assumed name, but always negative reviews. Um, so he why? likes... Can I ask why? Uh, I think for fun, and I think... <laughs> He wants to kind of show how confident he was that he could, huh. you know, attack his own. This novel. is before Twitter; people were just waging exactly, uh, yeah, right, right, sparring matches with themselves. Precisely, yeah. Okay. He would love to. I think he would do great on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but he had this column, uh, this kind of daily column in the Irish Times, um, and at a certain point, he has a regular feature where the the people of Ireland appear as like a character, mm -hmm. and so he talks to them, um, and sometimes he makes fun of them, sometimes they make fun of him. It's it's different each time, but I I kind of wrote that once you've reached this point where they could be this just like stock figure you bring on uh, once a week. That means kind of its potency is starting to wane. Hmm. And sure enough, if you look at, you know, political discourse of the 50s, 60s, and 70s in Ireland, it's not, it's not a populist moment. You know, it's not mm -hmm. um, something that people are, um, are making central in the discourse. Whereas in the early part of the century, um, it is. It's very potent. It's very present. And so I find it fascinating um, that we are now in a situation a lot like Ireland in the 1920s, whereas on the surface, there's very little connection. They were like a rural colony hmm. of the British Empire, right? We're nothing like that. Um, 
but why is kind of the language of the people now global, right? Why is India and Hungary and Venezuela, right? Why do all these nations, the UK, um, why do they all kind of reach? Yeah, exactly. Reach reach for this populist vocabulary. Huh. And so is it fair to say that that somewhat ironically uh, a a phrase meant to connote unity is actually a a sign that someone is trying to divide? Yeah, exactly. And in a sense, it's maybe always meant to exclude, even though it sounds inclusive. Um, and so even we the people um, in the kind of American revolutionary period is trying to separate right from mm-hmm. from the British aristocracy from the, the royal uh, kind of feudal uh, right. order right and so right. it's always saying we're, we're different right? it's always pointing out someone who is different. Fascinating but maybe in, in one case at least we can tell ourselves we were the good guys. That's right exactly yeah right. yeah. Well, well, for being one of the best guys and for giving a <laughs> fascinating window into a, a seemingly innocuous and positive phrase and <laughs> showing its complexity, we thank you. Thanks so much, Stu. The Why You Ideas podcast is a production of the Office of the Provost of Yeshiva University and Uri Westridge. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like what you're listening to. We want to hear from our listeners. Write to us at shalpern at yu.edu. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted and forward-focused. <laughs>